Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today is Monday, August 12th, 2019. And as predicted last week, uh, <laughs> it was going to be kind of exciting what was going to happen, but uh, Epstein was kind of unexpected. This week uh, looks like it's going to be a really busy, busy week. And I can tell you, uh, since last week when we had a few revelations and a few things released to the public, I have been digging and digging and digging and wait till you see what is to come. This is going to be part of a three-part series. And what if I told you... We've actually been able to um, decipher who was coordinating with Christopher Steele, like the exact name. We have people in the House and people in the Senate that should be very, very afraid. Uh, You know, today being a Monday, you would expect... um, you know, a more mellow intro to the day, uh, whereas it's just been on uh, like Donkey Kong since uh, Epstein's uh, untimely death. Now, uh, many people uh, have been speculating in regards to it, uh, including myself, as to what may have happened. You know, how has this happened? Um, You know, it, it... I mean, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? That suddenly he dies just out of the blue a couple weeks after he complains that people uh, were attacking him. And apparently he had a roommate, but then he didn't have a roommate. And then, you know, it's just all confusing, isn't it, guys? So it seems like we're getting a lot of mixed messages. Um, And one might even go as far as to say that, you know, this occurred at this time because I can tell you Epstein in itself is a tragedy, um, him being dead. And saying dead, and I'm going to be using air quotes because we don't know, but regardless... Our Department of Justice, our president says he's dead. So if he's dead, it's because we let it happen. If he's not dead, it's because we did that too. Uh, Bottom line is um, we've implemented measures. Think of it this way. We have been able to protect our president that is under global attack. Okay, let's just put it this way. We have averted any ability for them to even shoot missiles and not be intercepted. We have been able to ensure his safety. 
So when it comes to Epstein, something that President Trump talked about years ago, right, when he was campaigning, before he was actually elected, being the keys to the kingdom, do you think that we couldn't protect Epstein? Mm. So then it would be bifurcated thinking, well, would you protect him, um, you know, to because you need him, uh, to, you know, to get evidence? Or would you just protect him up until the point where there was no evidence? You know, we're going to walk through that, all of it. Uh, before we get into Epstein, where I have interviewed people at the MCC, interviewed people at the hospital, um, uh, I w- before we go into like putting out what we do know, without ma- taking any conclusions, the bottom line is, the general narrative is he's dead. Either that be true or not, on the books, he's dead, period, end of story, and that's the way it is. Uh, so how he died, who was responsible, what are they looking into, and what's going on, we're going to analyze. And we're also going to play that part of Attorney General Barr's um, speech today where he talked about it. But before we get into it, we're going to get into some other stuff. Important things like uh, this morning's uh, White House press briefing on immigration. So this uh, press briefing totally makes sense. A hundred percent. You know, you um, as a nation, you should be able to ensure that the people that come to your country are able to contribute and not come to your country to suck off the teat of the country. I'm going to play a few minutes here where he begins to uh, introduce and put out, um, you know, the um, what Cuccinelli is basically saying in regards to USCIS and how green cards are provided. Take a listen. He laid the foundation of our nation and have defined generations of immigrants seeking opportunity in the United States. Our current law, which is generations old, recognizes that some new arrivals to our country need the help of their family and community. It requires some of those who seek to live and remain in the United States to have a sponsor who will be financially responsible for them. case of my own family, my Italian grandfather played this role, sponsoring two of his cousins, Mario and Silvio, to come to America. Uh, Once they arrived, my grandfather wanted to make sure his cousins spoke English, certainly well enough to work, and uh, enlisted my father in that effort as well to make sure they could speak English well enough to work, and they did. My family worked together to ensure that they could provide for their own needs, and they never expected the government to do it for them. And this same hardworking spirit shared by countless immigrants who've made the U.S. their home is central to our American identity. This spirit's also been rooted for over a century, well over a century, in our immigration laws, going back to the 1800s. Since 1996, the law has required foreign nationals to rely on their own capabilities and the resources of their families, sponsors, and private organizations in their communities to succeed. However, Congress has never defined the term public charge in the law and that term hadn't been clearly defined by regulation. Well, that is what changes today with this rule. Through the public charge rule, President Trump's administration is reinforcing the ideals of self-sufficiency and personal responsibility, ensuring that immigrants are able to support themselves 
and become successful here in America. Our rule generally prevents aliens who are likely to become a public charge from coming to the United States or remaining here and getting a green card. Public charge is now defined in a way that ensures the law is meaningfully enforced and that those who are subject to it are self-sufficient. Under the rule, a public charge is now defined as an individual who receives one or more designated public benefits for more than 12 months in the aggregate within any 36-month period. For instance, receipt of two different benefits in one month counts as two months. A public charge in admissibility determination is prospective and looks at whether an individual is likely at any point in the future to become a public charge as we define it in the regulation. Public benefits are defined as federal, state, and local, as well as tribal, cash assistance for income maintenance and a small list of non-cash benefits. Some examples of the public benefits that are part of the rule are general assistance, SSI, SNAP, most forms of Medicaid, and certain subsidized housing programs. Significantly, the rule does not consider many forms of government assistance that protect children and pregnant women's health as public benefits. Generally, this includes emergency medical assistance, disaster relief, national school lunch programs, WIC, CHIP, Medicaid received by people under the age of 21 or pregnant women, as well as foster care and adoption subsidies, student and mortgage loans, energy assistance, food pantries, homeless shelters, and Head Start. It's important to note this rule will apply prospectively only to applications and petitions received starting on October 15th of this year. Once this rule is implemented and effective on October 15th, USCIS Career Immigration Services Officers, what we call ISOs, will generally consider an alien's current and past receipt of the designated public benefits while in the United States as a negative factor when examining applications. However, receipt of certain non-cash benefits received before October 15th will not be considered as a negative factor. The underlying statute, passed on a bipartisan basis, also requires officers to assess, at a minimum, each applicant's age, health, family status, assets, resources and financial status, and their education and skills, as well as other factors set forth in the rule in the totality of the circumstances. The totality of the circumstances means that officers will assess all of the evidence related to these factors and no one factor alone will decide an applicant's case. Most of these factors are the ones Congress mandated us to review when considering immigration benefit applications. Under this final rule, USCIS will be able to objectively determine whether an applicant is likely at any time in the future to receive public benefits above the designated threshold. Importantly, this final rule has no impact on humanitarian-based immigration programs for refugees 
and asylees, no impact on refugees or asylees. And it clarifies the exemption for trafficking victims and victims of domestic violence. Congress has long carved out exemptions for these categories and our regulation adheres strictly to the laws as written. The final rule also excludes from consideration public benefits received by certain members of the U.S. Armed Forces and their spouses and children, as well as Medicaid benefits for emergency medical services. Uh, lastly, under the final rule, USCIS can permit an applicant seeking a green card from inside the United States who's inadmissible only on the public charge ground to adjust their status to that of a legal permanent resident if they will post a public charge bond. So to conclude, I just note again that generations of immigrants have strengthened the foundation of our country by, and making positive contributions today, and we expect that to continue in the future. Through faithful execution of our nation's long-standing laws, President Trump's public charge inadmissibility rule better ensures that immigrants are able to successfully support themselves as they seek opportunity here in America. Throughout our history, Americans and legal immigrants have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps to pursue their dreams and the opportunity of this great nation. <clears throat> as President Trump delivers on his promise to uphold the rule of law, this administration is promoting our shared history and encouraging the core values needed to make the American dream a reality. And with that, I'm happy to take some questions. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Cuccinelli. As you know, uh, the primary focus of the president throughout his presidency has been on illegal immigration. The focus of what you just outlined in this proposed rule is on legal immigration. Yes. Why the change in focus? Oh, this is not a change in focus. This rule goes all the way back to executive orders from early in 2017. Uh, it's been a long, arduous effort. Uh, if you take a look at the fully uh, printed item, it'll, it'll, it'll make war and peace seem relatively short. Um, it is very thorough in the first attempt to, to put into operational effect all the different factors that Congress itself has said we're supposed to consider when deciding admissibility or inadmissibility. I would also note, as the head of the agency responsible for naturalizing citizens, the step after legal permanent residency for many people, uh, last year we, we swore in more American citizens than the four years before it, and this year I expect to see similar numbers again. So. I thought we should stop it right there and let me just um, break this down, this, um, you know, official wording. I mean, he was very uh, transparent and easy to follow. But the bottom line is, is that if you come to our country with a green card, okay, you should be able to sustain yourself. They have now upped the ante in regards to what you are allowed, um, uh, you know, to ask for assistance because, you know, it's understandable that 
you come here, you've lived here for four years, you renew your green card, you know, uh, whatever. I think it's uh, my husband who is a uh, permanent resident uh, renews his alien registration every 10 years. So apparently now, you know, if you're going to be renewing, you have to make sure that uh, you are able to sustain yourself, that you are not requiring the government to cover you, to float you, to, um, you know, pay for your food, your housing, your clothing, your whatever. Um, Now, it is understandable that we all come into difficulties, uh, downsizing of jobs, an injury, an accident, and people may indeed require assistance for a small period of time. That is completely understandable. I've been completely transparent. I remember when I went to the College of Medicine and, you know, I was, I had children, I had my husband, his, um, he lost his job and it was like two months where I was just like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Um, and that is where, you know, the government steps in and says, let me help you. Right. And this is exactly the time that it is warranted because then you're like, Oh, I could get comfortable and just take the benefits and not report honestly, or, uh, you know, just live off of that. Cause it pretty much just keeps me surviving or you can use that and build upon it. Right. So that's what they don't want, moochers. Now, there are a lot of people that are saying, well, you know, in the past, immigrants, when they came here in the 1700s and the 1600s and the 1800s and the early 1900s, that wasn't a thing. I'll tell you what, though. In the 1900s, right, early 1900s, before we had Social Security, right, before we had welfare, when someone came off a boat, with clothes on their back and a little bag of stale bread and like 10 bucks to their name, if they couldn't get a job, if they couldn't work, if they couldn't house themselves, guess what? They would die, okay? Because it's up to you to take care of you. You cannot depend on the government to take care of you. Now, if you are leaving your nation because the nation that you um, were birthed in, the nation that you, uh, you know, uh, were raised in cannot afford you the opportunity for a better life. And you decide to take that trip across the pond, across a border, whatever that may be, to come to the United States. It is expected of you to put in the hard work because the reason you migrate to the United States is because what? You want to work to receive the benefits of working hard because in your nation, no matter how hard you work, you get nothing. Kind of like my family back in Greece, they could be working 80 hours a day and it feels as if they're stagnant because they are being taxed almost 80%. So, you know, regardless of where they're at, you know, I have friends that are physicians that can't make their rent payments, not mortgage payments because, you know, that ship has sailed. They can't make their rental payments payments because they get taxed. People don't even want to buy houses anymore because if you buy a house, then not only do you pay a monthly tax for your property, but you pay an annual consumed tax. So if you're making a hundred thousand euros a year, you're legit taking home 17,000. That is it. The rest is going to taxes. So with 17,000 a year, how are you going to eat, pay your utilities and a mortgage? You can't and gas, which is surprisingly very high right now in Europe. Uh, So, well, not surprisingly, but we'll get to that on Wednesday. So 
what we have here is a plan that says, all right, you're coming here. But I'm telling you, if you decide to come here and your sponsor doesn't take care of you, we're deporting you. If you come here and you fall into hard times, but don't try to fix it. If you can, if you can, no one's going to kick you out because someone ran you over with a car and you're in litigation. But if you can work and fix your situation, then we will deport you. This is something that is imperative for a proper function of a nation that relies on immigrants. We can't have immigrants coming over here and, you know, coming in, working for like a year and then saying, well, I'm not going to work at all. You know, I can't do anything. I know for a fact, I want to sponsor a couple of my family members, right, to come here. And one of my family members is a chef, a really good chef, actually. They now are um, working at one of the best hotels in Amsterdam. Uh, and, you know, I've always said to him, you know, hey, when I'm ready and I want to open up a restaurant, I want to sponsor you to come here and run the whole kitchen because you're that good. Like, you know, you look at the food and it's so pretty, you don't want to eat it, right? And I sponsor them. What does that mean? I am vouching that they have the skills to not mooch off the government, which obviously you would do. Now, if I had another cousin that did nothing but be a waiter for like his whole life and, you know, was kind of the person that I kind of work and I kind of don't likes going to clubs or whatever (laughs) and doesn't really work. Do I really want to put my name on bringing that relative or, you know, over here to sponsor? them when they might just fall into the same pocket. I mean, you can't judge them from what they they did before, but you know, I'm just saying. So this is where we're starting to put um, boundaries on who's allowed in. And this is a great thing. Asadi said from asylum and refugees and whatnot, which we need to start tightening up. And I'm pretty sure this is just the first step. Those that are coming in and applying have to have some some sort of skill or if they have family members here they could say look I'm a great builder I'd love to work in construction that's not a bad job is it guys now if I have no idea how to connect them with the job then you know it's going to be a lot harder but if they have skills and they're like we're willing to work we can't make money in our country no matter how hard we work we want to come to America we want to assimilate and be part of your nation and you know create a better future for our children that's what we're all about but we're not about the person coming into the country and doing absolutely zero and reaping the benefits of being in the United States simply to exist. And, you know, for me personally, I just don't see how there are people like that around that can simply exist and rely on the government. You know, I think the minute welfare kicked in, that was it for the U.S. government to be able to pull reins on these things. So, This is a big discussion. This was supposed to be a racist discussion. And um, turns out it's not. It's pure logic. And it's not even as stringent as other countries. Like I said, I've tried before. I entertained the possibility of moving to Australia once. And, you know, I saw on the point system, I was fine. But my husband, obviously now, you know, having his skills, he didn't score according to their thing, how high they wanted him to. Now, it wasn't any big deal. But as someone who works in transportation that has so many years in transportation and having the skills of like for him for freight, um, a train transport, you would think that, yeah, he'd be able to find a job, right? 
But according to Australia, it's not good enough. They only want the cream of the crop. You can't just go there. So that's that's pretty interesting that the nations that are calling us racist for wanting to implement stipulations for people entering into our country are the ones that have the most stringent rules of entry for people that actually want to go to the country, contribute and create a life. Yet refugees, you know, supposed asylum seekers, overstays on their visas are more than welcome to suck off the teat of Australia. So then that's the way it is here in the United States, too. Um, speaking of racism, I just want to play a quick 20 second clip before we come up to our break and listen to this comment by Joe Biden. How racist is it? Take a listen. These students. We should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. What? So being poor means you're not white? I'm sorry, but I think that the majority of our poor people in our nation are, you know, living on buses on the outskirts of Kentucky, in the redneck areas of central Florida, you know, in the trailers, right? So that was really racist. So he's saying colored children are poor and they are just as smart as white kids. What? Okay. How is this even okay? How is this, how is this statement even okay? That is the most racist statement ever. I mean, the left has to look in the mirror at some point and realize that they are the ones promoting uh, this segregation between Americans. They're the ones promoting racism. Uh, now, right after the break, we're going to talk about something really crazy um, that, that um, I came across. Teen Vogue in Canada... Uh, on Snapchat was putting uh, out pictures and um, information to teenagers, right, that um, want to have abortions and how they should, how they can avoid their parents if they're not listening to them. Why would you promote killing babies to prepubescent children with pictures of these prepubescent children? We'll talk about that right after the break. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194. Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So before we broke for the break, aside from talking about immigration, we were talking about racism. Um, And in general, um, and I also introduced to you the topic of... um, promoting abortion to teens. Uh, I think this is something very important that we should talk about right now, the racism and what uh, the left is doing to our youth um, just for a bit. So we have realized and we are now understanding, even the left is now understanding that they are the ones that are perpetuating division within our nation. They're the ones that are creating this rhetoric. Uh, you know, I had a debate a couple of days ago with someone who was saying it's just white supremacy. And I asked them to define that. And the definition that I was provided is you get more opportunities because you're white. And the person that I was having this debate with was indeed white. And I said, well, okay, um, I didn't get any extra opportunities. I worked my butt off. I joined the service. I uh, work like nobody's business. You know, currently at the moment, aside from my investigative journalism, my radio show, I have a day job as a contractor. I have kids and I do other things on the side. I also have time to volunteer my time for causes that I wish to have. I'm a busy person. So I don't see how I'm afforded anything because if I was afforded anything because of my privilege, putting so much effort, I would have been somewhere in Hawaii right now sipping my ties. So I have no idea what they're referring to in regards to white supremacy. This is the new term. First it was Russia. Now we have white supremacy. And the people that are calling and screaming about white supremacy are the ones that are increasing the division, right? Um, We even saw them try to put out a film to make it okay and dehumanize conservatives or air quote white supremacists and what they call deplorables. This is dangerous because civil war is afoot and it was here. I'm telling you this. It was here in 2000. With the exit of Bill Clinton, people were so upset at the state of the nation at that point that there was civil war brewing. Bush knew it. 
Bush knew, and then suddenly 9-11 happened, and everybody forgot about why they were angry, and everybody was okay with the markets tanking, everyone was okay with the state of healthcare, everyone was okay with the state of the economy, I mean, you know, a tragedy, we have to focus on that, because if we're focused on the tragedy, then we're not going to remember why we were angry, and so as it grew and grew and grew, the voices of those that were frustrated were muffled by those that were now starting to pander to the whole racism, referring back to the filling up of the prisons by the Clintons, referring back to the, we should bring them to heel thing. You know, the referring back to the, you know, three strikes you're out and you're into prison forever, even if it's all three times for a stupid joint. You know, if you were black, you'd just be in there. This is something that the Clintons did. And it's understandable that there would be public discourse about this. We would discuss this because it's not normal that, you know, over 90% of the people that are incarcerated are black Americans, okay? And this is not something normal. We see that they are disadvantaged. How is this happening? Are we breeding criminals? One thing is, yes, we may be. Um, are we just discriminating against them in regards to the charges? Boy, I've seen that here in my state. Uh, and it's 2019. Yes. So we need to examine, are the penalties equal to the crime? Because I've seen, you know, uh, an immigrant, or let me say, a refugee. And you know how I feel about these Somali refugees guys, right? Um, and you know how I know that most of them are going through these uh, Muslim youth centers and then coming here to formulate a, 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 um, a form of jihad called hirash, right? But in my state here, a person that committed, supposed committed murder with actually no evidence, just supposed motive based on what other people of the community said about this refugee, got so many years in prison, yet somebody else who committed more atrocious crimes got less time. These are things we need to examine, right? Yes, I understand. And this is not going to stop, okay? It's not going to stop. This is going to happen forever, 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 because uh, unfortunately, there are different levels of uh, social, uh, how would you say, social, social, mm, emotional IQs, right? So for me, I don't see color. I really don't care. Actually, you know, that isn't even a factor for me ever, 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 ever. But for some people, it may be because of the way they were raised or the way they were, the way they see things or how they count statistics, whatever that may be. So what happened? So right before 2008, so in 2006, 2007, we started to have this uproar. It was like a racial divide war. And and Q Music pops in Obama, fixed elections with McCain, fixed elections, and suddenly, boom, Hillary's carpet is pulled right out from under her feet because they wanted him in to pacify the situation. Because if you pacify it and you tell all these people that you have been promising to for years, you know, the Democrats love, you know, minorities. Democrats love the people that they wish to enslave, which is what? Illegal migrants, our black Americans, reminding them of history. You know, you hear them say, well, you know, you owe us, my ancestors in the 16, 17, 18, nobody cares. 
Right now, what are we doing now? It's 2019, right? And at that time, it was 2008. What's happening now? Why is the majority of the population that you supposedly are supposed to help Democrat sucking off the teat of the nation? Why are their communities left in shambles? Why are you sticking Planned Parenthoods in every corner of that place? You know what they're going to say? Well, you know, they're, they're very poor and they don't have good... That's because you have conditioned people to think that... Having no family, having a single parent household, having an empowered woman popping out babies like crazy will get you more welfare. You know, there's people out there that have babies for the sake of food stamps. There are people out there that have babies for the sake of housing to survive. They see their kids as a paycheck. We have foster parents that just see these kids as a paycheck. So that is the problem that you've facilitated the ability for them to take advantage of something that's supposed to be helping people. So how do we fix this? By treating everyone equally, right? You would say, right? We can fix this by ensuring that everyone understands we're treated equally. And this is exactly what the Trump administration has been doing, but at the same time acknowledging the teeter-totter imbalance in regards to punishments, advancements, and infrastructure, right? They, the, the, the Trump administration has acknowledged that completely. Uh, you know, we have the First Step Act, uh, fixing that. Uh, so many people that have been incarcerated for stupid things for decades are being released. Uh, new, cold, you know, cases are being reexamined. Uh, this is what this administration is trying to do. It's trying to level the playing field. But at the same time, we have a handful of actual citizens that are completely insane. A, a handful of citizens that promote the notion that if you do not see that racism exists, you're the problem. If you do not understand that you should be ashamed for being white because people used to have slaves, you're the problem. Nobody cares what happened in the past. As long as you look at the past, as long as you focus on the past, you will not move forward ever. So what we're doing now is looking forward. We're trying to remedy uh, situations and environments that con continue to foster this ideology of this, um, you know, chasm between certain uh, groups within our nations. There's the group that says minorities are more important than everybody else. And then, you know, the other group that says everybody's is equally important and you get no freebies. This is America. You work hard, you make stuff. You, you, you make something of yourself. You don't work hard, you get nothing. So the state of the nation right now is unhealthy in respects to what we have and what we're churning out. Reason I say this is aside from the schools, brainwashing our children, telling them it's okay to, uh, you know, think about sex and who they like in kindergarten and how they can be whatever sex they want to be. Forget biology. Who told you anything about facts? We're going to focus on whatever you want to be. Now we're, we're introducing them to more, mm, I would say, non-childlike things. So we saw a couple years ago how Teen Vogue, which is targeting children between the ages of 11 and 15, right? Um, putting out descriptions of how homosexual boys or boys that like boys, right, can have safe anal sex. And obviously for girls that may want to explore with anal sex, why are you trying to teach my kid how to have anal sex, Regardless if they're a boy or a girl, why are you putting it out there with schematics? That's disgusting. Why are you sexualizing children? 
Because the more, uh, you know, decisions we give children to make on such vital factors of their personality, right, on their foundations, the more they're malleable to the outside influences. Kids need to be kids. They don't need to be thinking of that. So on, on Snapchat, Teen Vogue was telling kids that every single teenager has the right to have a, access to abortion. And it's, re, it's your right regardless of your parents' belief. Um, up until the age of 18, I say what goes with my kid. I've, I, I've said that to my youngest. And I stand by it. Some people might say, that's just so wrong. But hey, as a parent, I've told my kids, you're not allowed to work, period. I don't want you getting any job period. You can volunteer all you want. You are not allowed to get paid. You are not going to be working. None whatsoever. Your job is to figure out who you are, what you want to do, and focus. If you want to volunteer, that's great. I'm all for it. And I, and I, and I actually volunteer them all the time. No way am I going to have Teen Magazine telling my kid that they can put their foot down to me that they are afforded abortion rights. Uh, That's my child. I have power of my child, not you. And neither does the government according to our laws. Obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that um, don't understand their rights when it comes to their children Uh, going to hospitals. Nurses can tell them to get out when they can't, you know, because they're not allowed to. But people suddenly say, oh, yeah, they're allowed to. No, they're not. That is your child. And if they tell you that you need to get out of the room when they're with your kid, that is where you take your kid and walk away. So here's the thing. So Teen Vogue tells them this. They also start to push the idea saying, you know, your parents best. And if you feel their reactions might be hostile, you should act accordingly. Say what? Are you telling my kid to act? If, if I'm going to be hostile against them to act accordingly to that, like what? Hostile? What? Beat me up? What? Call the cops? I don't get it. See, in my family, up until you're 18, you don't get to do anything. I don't even let you get a full driver's license. You can have your, you know, um, permit all you want. I'll let you drive around all the time, wherever we go out, but you're not allowed to have a driver's license. Why? Because I want to know as a parent, I never let you get into an accident with friends. You never got a ticket. So when you're 18 and the world is out for your, you have the cleanest record on the planet. You have no tickets. You have no job history. You are ripe. You are a blank slate. So if you want to join, you know, the armed forces, you want to join the police department, you want to do anything, you've got nothing to worry about. Because I made sure that when you became an adult, you had the cleanest slate there. There were no waivers you needed. There were no extensive checks. You were a kid that was your only job up until the age of 18. And I think if every parent implemented that, because as a parent, you do your job. The law says I can't hold on to you past the age of 18. Personally, I'm more for the thing up until the age of 26 because we are so dumb up until that age. I can say I don't know what I was thinking at the age of 26 and I had children. Okay. So I was a hot mess. I still thought clubbing was the way to go. Like I would drop my youngest, my, my eldest off to my parents so I can go two days binge clubbing. Like I was a kid. Okay. You don't realize that children now are more extended. Maybe it was just my generation, whatever, but you know, kids, young adults are still children. 
because they're still trying to figure out their place in a new environment, which is called adulthood. So here we have not only the schools brainwashing our children on how to speak, how competition is racist, aggressive, and not correct, how borders are racist, and we should just all live in unity like hippies, but even the hippies would stand up and say, well, hold on a second. Um, I don't think I could work with, um, you know, some dude from, you know, Somalia, I guess, because in Somalia, if you don't do your job, your manager can smack you. Your manager can spit on you. Your manager can, you know, hack you with a machete. You know, that doesn't apply in America. So I don't, I don't think we're going to be working together very well, you know, if they come here and they implement their work ethics. So these are the things that are being pushed. Abortion is being pushed. And for them to be instructing prepubescent and, you know, and young teenagers, right? Prepubescent tweenies, I would say, and teens, tweenies and teens on how to get abortions, how to respond to it is incredible. They had pictures of little girls ages 13 and 14 saying, I got an abortion. Like, what? Why would any child be proud of committing murder? This is not normal. They are trying to normalize murder. They are trying to normalize things that sh- that are just not normal. I was um I last night I was on Twitter and I came across this um Twitter account of some person that uh was transgendered and had a sex change. Now, that person that had a sex change went from boy to girl and they finally got a vagina. And they were so, you know, uh, you know whatever about it. Their partner is a girl transitioning to a boy. And you know, the girl that's transitioning to a boy looks a lot like a girl, even though they look like a boy. I mean, you know, the body shape, you just can't change stuff like that. Anyway, and it seems like the majority, as I looked into it, of these people that change their gender, uh, from what I've seen, from what I've seen, are sex workers. Imagine, right? You change your sex to just be used as a piece of whatever and for people to buy you and to sell your body at a price. Now, I'm not knocking it, you know, if you really like, you know, having sex all the time, getting paid for it is just a perk, right? But I'm seeing a trend that those that are transgendered, right? And they are transsexuals and, you know, complete transsexuals where they've had, you know, upper and bottom surgery are the majority of them are sex workers. Like I started to troll like all this and you know, that account and then another account. And obviously there's a lot of porn on Twitter, which is really weird how that's okay. But you know, some of it was really, really racy and very, um, expletive, right? You would like literally see body parts. So why sign up for porn.com? Right. But the, the, the thing is, as I was looking at it, the majority of them were sex workers. And that indicates, you know, some form of, I, I, I can't say normalization that, um, you know, if you're a free spirit and if you use pronouns like they, or, you know, whatever you want to call yourself, um, that being a sex worker is okay. They're normalizing it. So now I've, I've noticed that because I'm seeing the big push of sex work being normalized. I'm seeing people pushing for it, um, online all the time. And it just rang to me that 
hey, so first we had, you know, all this remove the family, remove the father, remove the mother, throw the kids out to like daycare, don't take care of the kids, forfeit your rights of training them, give it to the government, the schools will deal with it. Now we have, you know, parents that want their kids to be transgendered, they want them to be free and fluid, you know, they're letting little boys paint their nails when they're four and they're like, it's okay if you want to be a girl and it's like, stop saying that, Um, you know. And suddenly we're seeing this shift where a lot of people are a little bit confused of what, you know, gender they are. Um, You know, homosexuality is a different thing. It's been going on for forever. I mean, you could be attracted to both sexes, uh, you know, for sex. Um, You know, that's that's something um, psychological, not physical. Here we have physical wishes for transition and we're seeing this push that now that they've they're starting to normalize this physical transition of the, the bodies to genders and um neutralizing the ability for people to actually use uh biologically based pronouns right and um changing the way people naturally look by deforming themselves either by you know the way of coloring their hair their skin uh you know piercings implants you name it we're starting to see a dehumanization from a biological perspective. Okay. Not saying completely dehumanized and normal is now becoming the wrong. Whereas abnormal is becoming more attractive. And as we see this go, we're seeing that things that, you know, you would read about in the Sonoma and Gomorrah, you know, of men dressing up like women and wearing horns and reading story time to little children is that of nightmares is now very acceptable and normal. Uh, you know, seeing men and hold other men on leashes uh, with their butt cheeks out and they're, you know, swinging their dongs uh, while kids are dancing around them is normal when you would normally be like, what is going on, right? We're normalizing this. Now I'm seeing the push to normalize sex work. I mean, I'm all for it, but, you know, I'm all for someone, you know, getting paid because they, they like to do it, because they like to do it, right? Not because they're addicts and they're thrown into porn. Hey, you want your fix? You got to take all these dudes and I got to tape it. Or you want your fix? Then you need to, you know, you don't want them enslaved in one way or another. They got to be knowledgeable, But I see that they are all in their faculties and the majority of them are now these transsexuals, transgendered and completed surgery uh, transsexuals that are all focused on sex work. So, you know, it's it's for me, it's disheartening because these people that have gender dysphoria are placed in a position where they don't feel normal in any other capacity. So they're trying to normalize those deviant careers, uh, you know, that deviant lifestyle. And if you notice the majority of these free spirited, they, they pronouns thing, uh, they're all in deviant type situations. You know, you won't see someone that says I identify as they, that's my pronoun and Z. You won't see them in a cubicle working. You won't see them as a bank teller, right? You won't. You'll probably see them at like a coffee shop or as a sex worker or, well, that's about it. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? So we're starting to normalize deviant behavior to be the new normal. Hmm. Now, 
that that's all I wanted to say. Things that you know are not really talked about and are very pertinent right now and are very important to the elections. Now we saw what happened in Hong Kong. I'm not going to talk about that yet because there's other stuff going on and a lot of people are reporting on Hong Kong and Taiwan and all this stuff, but they're not understanding what the foundation of all these protests are. So I'm just going to leave that and uh, later on this week we'll talk about it because uh, there's something that's going to be happening. I already know that there's Chinese forces um, entering um, Hong Kong and Taiwan. So we're going to get to that because there's more to it than what you are being told. Um, Before we break and we do our whole Epstein uh, discussion, um, I also wanted to let everyone know that these elections are going to be very crazy. You thought 2016 was nuts? Wait till you see 2020, because at 2020, they don't even have a candidate capable of going up against Trump. So if you think that was bad, wait till you see 2020. And if we're playing our cards rights, which so far we are, the mainstream media will not even have the cojones to lift their head up. Now, I'm going to give you a hint on a series that I've been working on. There is a private citizen that had the balls to threaten the DOJ that they would not be a mediator pro bono for them and Julian Assange. That same private citizen was also negotiating with senators of the Democratic side, Democrat senators, right, in 2016 and 2017, right? They were negotiating deals between them and Christopher Steele. Not only that, they also tried, no, these senators and someone that is connected to, and I'm going to say the name, Feinstein, was the one that actually paid Fusion GPS to do this. Guys, this expose is so huge. And the fact that Epstein happened when all this information was released and no one is talking about it, they're just kind of like, "Mm." (laughs) it's like, wow. This is how it works. Was it really planned? Probably, because from what we hear and from what I know, from my sources, William Barr was at the Metropolitan Correctional Center, Manhattan Correctional Center, a.k.a. MCC, a couple days before Jeffrey Epstein died. And we're going to accept the died because A.G. Barr said he's dead. We say dead. He could, he's just dead. And, you know, being a CIA asset like uh, Epstein was, if he's dead, means we're never going to see him. So to us, he's dead if there was any deal cut. So we'll get into those details um, in a little bit because this week will be super explosive, not just on the Epstein side. We're talking the swamp is freaking out because things are coming down hard. Uh, Right after the break, we'll we'll jump right into Epstein the discrepancies, what we know, what we don't know, and what we expect to come out of all this. I'll see you all in just a bit after this short break.
Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So for those of you that were listening live, and my second hour was cut off, um, I am uploading this immediately, like within like 15 minutes, uh, since Scott will be out of the country. Um, I'm going to be uploading this immediately. Uh, tech is uh, trying to put this together. But for those of you that were listening live, I have no idea what happened probably because I was in, <laughs> inching as to what is going on in regards to Epstein. So first things first. So two days ago, when we found out that Jeffrey Epstein had passed away, the mainstream media, as we know, came up with the conclusion that he hung himself, which was extraordinary considering that he's on suicide watch and that can't happen. Now, me being me, I got myself a hold of a lot of recordings that indicated that they were actually called there for cardiac arrest and he was icicle cold and somebody else was working on him. Now, um, it seems really interesting how Epstein, who was dead for hours was being ventilated when he was being rolled into the hospital. It was very interesting. And considering from the color in his face, it's not um, what one would consider um, consistent with a victim of hanging. So when a person hangs themselves uh, and then they're released, obviously the body is released, even if they've been hanging for like two hours or three hours, whatever that may be, the minute you release them, gravity takes hold and we see, and, and while they're hanging, it's taking hold. Okay. And their extremities, that means finger and feet are completely pooled with blood. It's the lividity, which is what the coloring of the skin is called changes. And it is the first thing someone will look at to determine or have a general idea of why they're dead. Kind of like if you see someone that looks, you know, that's dead and you see that their, you know, eye is yellow, you'll be like, well, I'm pretty sure this had to do something with liver failure, right? And if you see someone that has um, a bright red face, you know, you can automatically, automatically say, you know, this is from, you know, poisoning because there's different you know colors that your head can have when you have a cardiac arrest victim uh if it is from poisoning right so like his face was red okay it, it wasn't blue and purple it was red it was not blue purple it was red brownish uh and just reddish 
right? If you look at it. And if you see when he's being rolled in, his hands were like a dead yellow, like the type that you would see in cadavers, or it could just be the hue and they're white. But what you do notice, even from the stretcher picture, is that his back had a discoloration and it was red-ish, purple-ish, just a little bit that you can see, which means that however he died, he died on his back because if he was hanging, that would not be the case. You would not see the blood pool there. So what happens when we have a red face? So if it's brown or red, it's usually from a substance like nitrates that, you know, um, create uh, methemoglobin. So basically what it does is it disables the red blood cells in your system to be able to transport oxygen to your cells. Okay, this can be done over a long period of time poisoning, right? Slowly until it reaches to capacity or just in a toxic level. Uh, if your face is cherry red, it's carbon monoxide poisoning. Hence, people that are found in their cars, you know, where they want to kill themselves with their car running, their faces are red. So their faces would look similar to that of Jeffrey Epstein's and a reddish hue. Now, red also means cyanide poisoning. Okay. So you'll see that. Obviously, you'll see lips that are blue, but it will be all the head because it's a cardiac arrest um, of, of poisoning. Okay. So if you have a heart attack, I just want people to know, um, if you have a heart attack, your whole body will be pale. Okay, it's not like vessels are going to explode in your face and turn you red. Um, You know, unless your face down, your nose won't be red. Um, You know, your belly won't be red. It depends on how you die. From what we see here, we have um, a little bit of a reddish discoloration in the image that we see on the back, which indicates that he was lying down and a red face, which indicates asphyxiation type poisoning, which usually targets the vessels of the head uh, more than anything, uh, because that is where you have the uh, strain. So that's number one that, you know, the pictures. Okay. So the pictures tell us a lot more. Uh, that one picture told us a lot more than anyone would see. There were a lot of pictures going around that the facial and anatomical structures of Epstein compared to the person that we saw in that snapshot picture that a lot of people are trying to debunk. Um, you know, and it may be true that they're right, but I actually, um, have interviewed people from Presbyterian. So I have more on that. Um, so, you know, that the structures of it, and you know, the ears are the ones that can't change. And there's like a little bit of a discrepancy there, but we don't know if he had an accident, but also it also indicates that that uh, protrusion that he normally had more recessed in his ear is now more prominent out, probably because he was a victim of some form, the person that is, that is on the stretcher, some form of cardiac arrest that was imposed by some form of poisoning. Okay, Uh, because of the definite difference in color from head to torso. The other clue that this thing gives us is that he's wearing an orange jumpsuit. So a lot of people are like, why is he wearing a jumpsuit? He was on suicide watch. For me, it wasn't like, why is he wearing an orange jumpsuit? He was on suicide watch. It's like, why is it orange? See, the Manhattan Correctional um, Center does not have orange jumpsuits. It has tan jumpsuits. The only people that would have striped jumpsuits or orange jumpsuits are the ones that are coming from like other facilities. And I put an article up online 
uh, through lauraloomer.us. And um, I will be publishing it to the com as well later. I always like put up whatever articles I write for other people on my site later on. But it's titled Questions Remain Concerning Convicted Pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's Alleged Death, Suicide, Murder, or Intercept. Because all three of these are plausible. It is plausible that he committed suicide. And from what I see, not from uh, hanging, but maybe assisted suicide. Maybe someone gave him cyanide pill, something. Right. Um, Because if you're Jeffrey Epstein and you're a guy that, you know, jet sets, has his own island, oodles of money, you know, and you're stuck in a hole like the Manhattan Correctional Center, you're going to want to die because there's roaches and rodents anywhere. You know, other than John Gotti, who was served steaks and had like the best room in the house uh, from back in the day, that place is horrendous to stay in. So, So number one is, was he murdered or suicided? So I thought that taking that picture, we can deconstruct a few things. So one thing is, why was he wearing an orange jumpsuit? That is, for me, the key question. Nothing else. Because that'll tell us, was he on suicide watch? Yes or no? Because he was wearing an orange jumpsuit. Okay? And so one of my sources that I interviewed uh, um, uh, from the Manhattan Correctional Facility uh, that was not in the building but outside of the building told me that they heard that the chief psychologist had signed off uh, Epstein being taken off suicide watch uh, late Friday night. So that's just really weird. Uh, Usually decisions like that don't happen uh, on a Friday. Uh, There's a family meeting usually on a Monday. Uh, Discussions ensue. Then, you know, documentation has to be appropriately put together in order to justify that action or to take them off suicide watch. So there's no paper trail on that. It just happened. So that's number one. So this is why that picture is the most important picture and important uh, shred of evidence, as one might say, uh, that you can ever imagine. So what is the deal with this picture aside from the orange jumpsuit? You have to think, well, we have him in this orange jumpsuit. So that questions, was he on suicide watch? Well, why the orange jumpsuit? Because if you were transferred from, let's say, Rikers, right, and they have orange jumpsuits there, and you come to the MCC, no matter what time of day it is, right, uh, you'll be taken into intake. And there they will strip you of all your clothes, check your anus for drugs, you know, check you in and then give you maybe have wash you down or whatever and then give you your clothes, your blanket or whatever they give you and put you in a room. Epstein was already, um, you know, uh, a resident there. So it doesn't make sense as to how he got a hold of this orange jumpsuit. So I'll tell you what I know. So what we do know is that um, uh, Comfort Guard uh, offers protective garments and bedding. And they have uh, the most contracts with correctional facilities. And so what they have um, is um, the name of the company is Servovita, which means to protect life. And they offer clothing and bedding for people that are uh, deemed to be a harm to themselves. So you would think if he's in this outfit, he's on suicide watch and he's in this outfit, how can he hang himself? Because it's literally tissue. 
And and remember, these aren't just for inmates. These are for people in hospitals. If you're deemed to be, uh, you know, a, a threat to your own life, they will put you in this special these special garments and give you special sheets and blankets that you know with that that can't sustain any pressure uh, aside from you pulling them over you or lifting them up. Okay, Uh, because even if you try to wrap your head around it and you do, you can wrap your head around it. I've I mean, I've I remember that when I was, you know, uh, at the College of Medicine and I was interacting with patients, my my psych ward rounds, I was checking that out and I tried to like test it. Like, can you really hang yourself? Can you like twist it or, you know, bundle it up? And I'll tell you what, when I took the sheet, like the fitted sheet part of it and, you know, double, triple folded it and put it around my neck, it stayed there. But the minute I pulled up, it still stayed there. But the, you know, as, as I increased the pressure, you know, to like pretend to like choke myself, it snapped. Like everything just tore apart, the threads, everything. So even if you double fold it, triple fold it, it doesn't maintain integrity enough to be able to, um, you know, uh, uh, help the person hang themselves. So that's number one. All right. So if you're on suicide watch, you have that smock, shouldn't be wearing that orange one, uh, period. So now what, where are we at? So I'll tell you what my sources told me aside from the fact that, you know, we have everything that was told to us. I asked this correctional employee questions. And so my first question to them was like, you know, uh, you know, how was Jeffrey Epstein when he arrived? And the arrived thing is, is that what they were telling me is that um, when he was supposedly taken into um, the room, back to the room, because apparently he was removed from the room, uh, there were no heating blankets that were observed. And, um, you know, uh, you know, when the EMS came and their in-house nurse. They didn't see any heating blankets and or any other clothing. Uh, he was very stiff and cold. And, um, you know, they even stopped doing chest compressions. Like they were just like, he's done. We're done. It's over. So what this correctional guard told me was that at around 4.30, uh, you know, uh, and every 15 minutes, uh, there are inspections done, right? So every 15 minutes, we have inspections done by correctional guards. So it meant that, you know, from the last time he was on camera, because there is camera footage, uh, which was uh, around 4.30-ish or something like that, or 4.15, I don't remember, um, off the top of my head. You know, after that, suddenly the cameras were blacked out. So what was noticed was that even though there were eight correctional guard inspections in between the time that he was found at 630 and the last time seen, um, you know, nobody knew what happened. So the question to him was, you know, didn't the 430 guy, because the 415 was the last round that had him. So didn't the 430 guy and every 15 minutes that the correctional guard would have to go in up until 615, um, you know, and the 615 one, because it was at 630-ish where they noticed that he was dead, um, they didn't notice that he wasn't wearing the suicide prevention suit, uh, but he still had the suicide prevention bedding or like, what was he wearing? Like my question was like, if he was hung, did they not see him hanging from there? I mean, they were passing by, they have to do rounds. 
And the question is, he does, the answer he gave me was nobody knows. I mean, sometimes on late rounds, if you're in a room with a flap, they won't flap it down and shine the light in there because they're just like, whatever, somebody else checked, they were fine, I don't need to do it. And they just walk around for the cameras, which also shows if they pulled the flap and shine the light. But you know, some of them get lazy or they pretend to shine the light and not even look. So that was my question, but what, what I was told is that all of them were being questioned. So then I asked the license plates of this vehicle that he allegedly said turned up, uh, you know, where are they? You know, where are the license plates or the names and of the vehicle? Because apparently at around four, uh, a little bit after 4.15, it was observed that a vehicle had come to the facility um, and took Jeffrey Epstein. Um, so, the, or exchanged him or had him in there and then wheeled him out in other clothes. Nobody knows. But there were none. The, the person said, not at this time. The, you know, we didn't take plates. We didn't take, you know, names because sometimes we don't document certain people like from the Southern District of New York, you know, U.S. attorneys, feds, especially if they have a clearance form from the warden. All they have is like a special golden ticket where you just walk in uh, because they need it off the books, which is super creepy and dodgy. I mean, everything should be documented, right? So the question uh, I asked, and I didn't put it on there uh, only because I simply thought it was way too much information for people. And I didn't want people thinking that I was leaning in one direction in regards to what is happening. But um, I was told that the cameras in the external facilities of the MCC were also down. So it was the whole building. It wasn't just his floor. It wasn't just his room. The whole building was blacked out in regards to cameras. And so the question lies is, is so for over two hours, there is no footage. The security guards that sit there in the main center that observe this, did they not see that there was camera outage? Did they not report it? Because <laughs> there's protocol. If cameras are down, I can tell you from special places that the military has, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Uh, you know, in regards to um, observing high profile prisoners, if the cameras glitch, even if they glitch, right, do that whole little shh and then come back, you know, we're advised that you immediately have to put eyes on it and then assign people to the unit, you know, in, in minute increments until it is determined that it was like a slight power failure or something because everything needs to be accounted for. Now, in the MCC, it may not be the same as places like, you know, certain Briggs or Gitmo, right? It may not be the same, but protocol is protocol. I mean, come on, two hours of no footage and you say nothing? Pretty weird. You know, that sounds really orchestrated. Like you've got the main security guard, the regular security guards, the outside security guards, all fine with no cameras, no recording people. That's pretty crazy, right? And apparently communications lines, communication lines were down too. Now, there's also rumors going around. Now, this isn't from my uh, source that Epstein actually had a roommate that was removed from his cell right before it happened or something. But this has not been confirmed to me. So I said to the guy, okay, so you're telling me that this car pulled up, nobody took any documentation. And you're saying what the Epstein was swapped? Like, what are you saying? And, you know, he couldn't answer that question. I, I you know, because he said that he was wheeled in to a car and then wheeled out, and um, so when he was wheeled out, he had like 
heating blankets and like crispy, you know, the metallic blankets on him head was slouched down and he did notice that he was wearing a pant, an orange pant. So the question is, was he swap? I'm just telling you what I saw is what answer I got. So the next thing I asked is if someone is dead or harmed or injured in the prison and they have to go to the hospital, here's what protocol is. A nurse has to accompany an inmate dead or alive at all times until they are released to the custody of the hospital, regardless. So if the EMTs come and they're like, yo, we're taking the hospital, the, 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 the prison nurse has to jump in with the patient dead or alive. And if they're dead, you know, the nurse goes in there, releases them to their custody. They sign a lot of paperwork and then goes to the nearest hospital for autopsy. In this case, no nurse accompanied him. Here's the next thing. Investigations. I asked, is there anything going on? And here's what they said. Let's just say that everyone isn't going home. There are a lot of suits crawling the place. And then the odd thing I asked, you know, did you see anything else odd or anything? And he said something weird. He said, like, I heard a lot of people were being rotated off units for maintenance, but only the warden favorites remained. And I also heard that the chief psychologist had signed off on Epstein being taken off suicide watch. This is just what I heard. Pretty odd, right? That's a really odd thing to say and do. Uh, so... One has to wonder, you know, what do we do? Uh, what do we do in the situation where it may be a fix? You know, it may be a fix. It's definitely a fix. I mean, first of all, nothing makes sense. Was he on suicide watch? Was he not? But you know what the coolest thing is? Is why was William Barr there just a couple of days before that? And according to one of my witnesses, which is pretty interesting, Epstein was actually at the hospital earlier that week too. So... That was really weird, wasn't he? So my next, um, I interviewed two hospital employees that have two different types of jobs. And the first question that I asked them was if a nurse accompanied Epstein's body or the alleged body of Epstein to the, um, uh, to the hospital. And the answer was no. And I asked who accompanied the body. Was he intubated? Because it shows that he was being ventilated. And the response I got was people that were from FDNY EMS and federal agents. Um, but he looked like he'd been dead a long time. So I have no idea why they were ventilating him. And that's true. I mean, if you see blood pooling in the back, right? And the head is red. The person's been dead. Been dead. So it's not you know, no one can conceive as to why they were ventilating. It was all for show. So I asked how the room was assigned. You know, when you come in, you know, you go into the ER, uh, you know, prisoners are usually taken to certain areas unless it's like super crazy and they just get put in the main bay. But, you know, did the, uh, you know, who pronounced him dead? Was it the doctors of the ER? What happened? And I was told this, that at 630, after, you know, people have come in to take chain shift because usually they do shift seven to seven, seven A to seven P or seven P to seven A, right? Uh, which is seven AM to seven PM, seven PM to seven AM. Uh, they got they had already gotten a call from federal authorities and federal agents were in that building almost instantly. And they actually found a room and cleared it. Uh, they went through protocol of sweeping for bugs and removed all digital equipment and kept it sealed until the so-called Epstein patient arrived and no hospital personnel was allowed 
anywhere near it. So I asked, like, what do you mean, like, all the equipment? Like, we're talking, like, the computers where you, like, log in stuff on, you know, charts or what? Like, did they leave, like, the vitals machine? You know that little machine that they roll around or is or is fixed in a room where it takes your blood pressure, temperature, and your pulse ox? You know that thing that they put on your finger that if it falls off, it just keeps beeping, that one? That was removed, too. And that is really odd. Like, why would you take out the machine that's, like, to connect, you know, life support checking things. One thing they might have removed it is because, I don't know, because it was electronic or um, because, you know, sometimes they update on the main nurse windows, like on a TV, who knows. So I asked clearly, was the Epstein Jeffrey Epstein? Was the, was the patient Jeffrey Epstein? And the response was, I don't know. From a distance, it looked like him but he was wearing orange jumpsuit, which is different from the clothing he wore when he came into the hospital earlier this week, marked as an individual at at risk to himself. Wait a minute. When did he come to the hospital? I think it was Wednesday, but I'm unable to verify because I'll be flagged by the EMR. EMR is the electronic medical record system where they log in patient information. So patient, employee number two gave me even weirder things. Same thing. Was it Epstein? I don't know. Well, who came? EMS, Fed agents, lots of suit. Everyone telling, you know, trailing behind from, uh, you know, from other cars. So there were a lot of cars that pulled in were just on the phone constantly. You know, uh, you know what were you told that was the problem with it? And the, the employee said that the call that they got in was that, that it was a cardiac arrest episode and they'd be rooted to them, uh, you know, uh, to the MCC. Uh, then this person said he looked like he was a cadaver his face thick pooling of blood in his back which means he died laying down and stiff none of our doctors or nurses tended to him did you go to the room he was in no nobody was allowed in, in unless authorized there were armed people that had cleared a perimeter the only people who entered were the two FBI agents and a federal medical examiner was their press no we were shocked that no one came or tried to sneak in like they usually do we had security um and agents outside but no one even tried that's what's really weird and then the last one did you observe something that was on yes a federal agent was with someone from our it having him load a lot of data onto usb drives so i tried to confirm the information with the hospital but they were like this is an ongoing investigation we're not allowed to talk about it you can direct all your questions to the fbi blah 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 after this break we'll delve into a little bit more of this creepy scenario of what's going on with epstein's death Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219. Okay, now let's listen to what William Barr had to say today in regards to the Epstein situation. Good to see you looking so well this morning. I really appreciate your inspiring remarks, especially for reminding us of the heroism of the Capitol Police whose swift action prevented a mass casualty attack. Before I begin, I'd like to briefly address news from the Manhattan Correctional Center over the weekend regarding Jeffrey Epstein. This sex trafficking case was very important to the Department of Justice and to me personally. It was important to the dedicated prosecutors in the Southern District of New York and to our FBI agents who investigated the case and were preparing it for trial. Most importantly, this case was important to the victims who had the courage to come forward and deserve the opportunity to confront the accused in the courtroom. I was appalled, and indeed the whole department was, and frankly, angry, to learn of the MCC's failure to adequately secure this prisoner. We are now learning of serious irregularities at this facility that are deeply concerning and demand a thorough investigation. The FBI and the Office of Inspector General are doing just that. We will get to the bottom of what happened, and there will be accountability. But let me assure you that this case will continue on against anyone who was complicit with Epstein. Any co-conspirators should not rest easy. The victims deserve justice, and they will get it. And now let me turn to the reason I'm here. 
Okay, so that was him speaking at the Fraternal Order of Police down in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana today. Now, I want to play a clip from Fox News this morning with Matt Whitaker. Uh, Take a listen to what he had to say in regards to Epstein. With a Fox News alert, Fox News now learning that Jeffrey Epstein was not checked on for several hours leading up to his death. This according to a person familiar with the matter. Fox also learning that Epstein should have been checked on every 30 minutes. Let's bring in Matthew Whitaker, former former acting attorney general and incoming outside general counsel for PC Matic. Thank you so much for being here. Congrats. Congrats Oh, glad to be here. Glad to be here. I I am excited to work with the folks at PC Matic as one of the clients uh, as part of my law practice. And so it's uh, I really like the the company and uh, and and, uh, it should be a fun, fun time. What do you think? Um, what do you make of what happened to Epstein? Do you think it was suicide? Well, this is the great thing about the Department of Justice, and as the former Attorney General, you know, I headed up the Bureau of Prisons among other things. And you know, I, I'm I was very pleased that Bill Barr uh, took this incredibly seriously and said we have to get to the bottom of this, and brought in uh, Michael Horowitz, who is uh, the Inspector General and who has a lot of experience investigating things that have happened at BOP, including in this New York City. Um, jail. Um, I also know, you know, was there when General Sessions appointed Hugh Hurwitz to be the head of BOP. And I think, you know, he's a methodical uh, procedure-based person. And, and BOP, there's n- nobody that does it better than BOP. So I was really surprised to see that some of these protocols and procedures, the 30-minute uh, check and the like, were not uh, followed. And so um, I think there's some, some serious questions that are raised here. Um, and, and once we hear yeah. the whole answer, I think we'll We'll have a lot better picture, but there's no doubt that, I mean, I think reason and common sense would suggest that someone should have been checking on him based on just what had happened several weeks Matt, before with him. you say there's serious questions being asked, but uh, in, in the Wall Street Journal today, their op-ed basically says that this fiasco, this whatever's happened, and we're going to get the facts, but this is part of why Americans don't trust their government. How important is getting this investigation right, concise, and, and transparent? Well, the transparency is the key. That's what builds confidence for the American people. If you don't give all of the facts and, and essentially a line by line as to what we licked into, what we talked to, what we found, what we saw, what, what, what was violated, if anything, and, and the who, what, you know, just like the facts, then, then the confidence won't be there. And so we need like ultimate transparency in this case. Now, this is the same jail that El Chapo was just being held um, before he was transferred out to the, the Supermax out in, in Colorado. And so I was surprised to see that they could hold him safely with, without incident and then have Epstein twice. I mean, once a alleged failed attempt at suicide and now a successful attempt. I, I, something, um, I think, you know, the questions surrounding this, something doesn't add up. And, I, and we, need, we need full transparency and we need the answers on this. You mentioned Horowitz, which has sent my mind in another direction because his name yep. has been used on the other inspector general investigation. Yep. Any sense on when... His other investigation comes right. out about what happened. Right, Pete. I think I think everyone believes that it's going to be September, uh, and and those are that together with the Durham uh, piece of those investigations as to the origins of that entire uh, Russia investigation is going to be key. And again, that's where we're going to need we're going to need full transparency. We're going to know, yeah. need to know sort of what decisions were made, why did they make them, what was the predicate for these investigations. And and uh, you know, I've been. I, I mean, I, I I know some of it, but one of the things that I heard Bill Barr say after he took over in February from me is that he couldn't get answers to some of these questions. And I felt the same way. I asked the same questions, and I couldn't get answers either. So I was really glad to see him um, 
do this because I think then we're going to we're going to get some of these answers. As far as the transparency and the Epstein thing, how do you find out what really goes on behind bars? Because we always hear, don't snitch, don't tattle, don't you know? Because you'll be bad things could happen to you if you do that. So how do you really right. find out the truth? Well, it's like conducting any other investigation. You know, you sort of you, you start on the outside and you work your way in. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is they have cameras, but not in the cells. Um, you know, obviously there's staff there that was that were doing things, um, but at the same time, you know, there was nobody in the cell with him. And and, and I think some to some extent it's going to be what was happening outside of the cell and in the hallways and who was moving yeah. around yeah. at the time. I mean, that's that, that, that those cameras usually are your are your best you, fact provider. You mentioned Barr. He is outraged. He's very upset. Is that justified? Oh yeah, I, I'm sure when he got the news that that. I, I, I'm guessing he did not use the best language uh, because I mean that's that that is that was if not the most high-profile case going on in, at DOJ, one of the most high-profile yeah, yeah. cases. And you just want to make sure that those victims receive the you know the the satisfaction and the justice that yeah. they deserve. And so to be to, you know to, to have it go down the way it went down, I think I, I think well, is yeah. would you would want the attorney general outraged and 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 very angry and demanding answers. We shall see what happens, Matt Whitaker. Thank you for being here. Congratulations on the new gig for PC yep. Matic. We want to see you in the commercials maybe coming up. I <laughs> well, and you're five, for I see here. that your five minutes are up. Okay. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were at the Iowa State Fair. I was. I was at it's the. It's much better because they have hot uh, corn dogs instead of pronto pie. We got to leave it there. All right. So we heard Matt Whitaker talk about it, which was pretty interesting, too. So we'll see what comes out. He's saying there's no cameras in the room, whereas um, testimony in court say that there's two cameras in each room. So it's very conflicting information that we're getting. He's saying that there was no one in the room with him when we're getting information that his roommate was moved out of the cell beforehand. So what's true? What's not? Uh, you know, and this kind of leans back to my theory that I will be putting forward in the second hour, which is, you know, if I was the administration, if it was my mission to keep this guy safe and take them all down and cut them down from the root, I would hijack their plan. I would hijack their plan and make them think they got away with it. But at the same time, roll in a picture of Epstein on a stretcher with no body bag with out for everyone to see trolling them with a few clues so that I can keep them on their toes. So all this information is contradictory coming from people, you know, that are, you know, at that level of, you know, uh, I would say uh, position in, at the DOJ that would be able to give you more information and more, uh, I would say, credible information than what we hear on the news or from sources or from, you know, just people saying things. Bottom line is we're not going to know. And hopefully in the second hour when I break down what my idea is, I mean, he could have been murdered. Yes. He could have been suicided. Yes. He could have committed assisted suicide. Yes. Or maybe we hijacked their plan. So that's something that we're going to talk about in the second hour where hopefully the second half hour where hopefully I'll be back online for those of you listening to me live. Other than that, like I said, this will be uploaded immediately uh, once uh, I finish the show. It is important for us to understand that um, everything seems to be 
just an illusion. Let's just listen to this song while we deal with our technical difficulties for a bit.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. And I know that the previous half hour was not live on air. I already introduced that in my um, clip. I will be uploading this almost instantly after the show. It'll take us literally 15 minutes. We had a bit of a problem in connecting to our server today. All right, so where were we? We talked about the um, interviews that I had with two employees of the hospital. We talked about uh, the MCC uh, employee and the information they gave me. But I'm, you know, uh, again, the bottom line here is not anything of what people are saying or the rumors going around or whatever can be substantiated or not. The fact is, for me, why was he wearing an orange jumpsuit? So if he was on suicide watch, he shouldn't have watched it. Even if he wasn't on suicide watch, he shouldn't have been wearing it because the Manhattan uh, Correctional Center, Metropolitan Correctional Center, their outfits are tan. So this is the question. And also, if you notice that when he was wheeled in to the hospital, the shirt was actually scrunched up, like lifted, when normally in cases like this, the shirts are cut off. And again, bringing back to the liver mortis, right? Post-mortem, a person's skin changes. So if he was hung, his hands and his feet, even if he was hanging for a few hours or whatever, due to gravity, they would have been purple, And they were not. You could see the hands were clearly pale and curled, not extended. So when when you're... um When you're twitching because you've choked yourself or you hung yourself, your extremities, your digits, your hands and your fingers are extended. They don't curl. Curling is struggle for air, struggle for oxygenation. That's when you curl. Okay. So these are normal reactions. So if indeed that was the body of Epstein, it was not hung. What you can see is, and from what the, uh, you know, employee at um, Presbyterian told me, and from what you can see from the photo, we had a slight discoloration of the back from the photo you could see. Uh, Eyewitnesses at the hospital said that it was actually purple, uh, which means that there was pooling of the blood in the back, which means that the person was lying down when they uh, passed away. Uh, So gravity takes its course and it goes back. So like if you died face front, your nose, your tummy, your chest, you know, all of that would be pooled with blood. Okay. So we had that. And then the face was red. So you're lying on your back. Your back is pooled with blood. Your face, your whole head is red, not blue and purple. I don't know why people say that it's not blue and purple. And in the article that I put up on lauralumer.us, I've literally taken it out of my college of medicine textbook, you know, for pathology. And, you know, when I had to do my rounds, um, you know, uh, with the medical examiners, and the corners of what you see. And so blue, like literally dark purple, is normal. Lividity. Lividity is like the color discoloration, right? It's the hue, the color hue. So that would be normal. If they're pale or pinky, you know, it means like they have like no blood. You know, when they look like ghosts, it's like they've lost all their blood. It's like when someone comes in and their popliteal artery has been sliced behind the knee and they just bleed out and they're just drained from blood like a vampire sucked them. But then you have like dark brown. So when you're like muddy brown, it almost looks black, but it's brown. That's being poisoned by phosphorus. Uh, If the body is greenish in any way, it's already started to decay. Uh, Now red, there's different hues. Uh, And we can't tell from this picture because, you know, there's always lighting, filters, whatever. But what we can say for sure is that face was not blue. 
It was a dark red. So if it was brownish red, uh, we could say that this was done through nitrates, poisoning of nitrates. Uh, basically what they do is they bind to red blood cells, disabling them from be able, being able to deliver oxygen to cells to oxygenate them correctly. Uh, so, you know, basically uh, th- that's what you call a methemoglobin um, type uh, substance. So it binds, disallowing oxygen to move. And that can be done slowly in doses, like over a period of time or in a toxic, say, level. Uh, but And that would indeed cause cardiac arrest and asphyxiation. But if, if that was the case, uh, you know, he would be a lot more uh, browner as opposed to red uh, in the picture. Um, cherry red is carbon monoxide poisoning. So that's like the super red, like the Republican red, right? That one, carbon monoxide poisoning. You see it all the time from people that, you know, lock themselves in garages with their cars running or, you know, people in in homes that, you know, turn up dead and everyone's like, where'd they go? And they were sleeping and they died. Red. Now, any other hue of red, any other hue of red is cyanide poisoning. You know, for some reason, people see it in the movies And they think, oh, the lips are going to be blue. Yeah, they are going to be blue. The lips are, but we can't see them because they're ventilating. Maybe that was the purpose of putting actual the ventilator, you know, uh, you know, the little uh, handheld ventilation uh, apparatus, you know, to kind of um, supposedly got, you know, guard the color of the lips. You'll see that they did put a neck brace. But it's not a neck brace that you would put on someone that hung themselves. I'm just telling you. It's a neck brace that you would put just to uh, keep it stable thinking, uh, you know, to keep the airway open, right? Um, if you had any chance. So, you know, these are little slight things that you should be paying attention to when, you know, pictures come up. That's, that's the important for me. It's the jumpsuit. The jumpsuit makes absolutely no sense. And that's where I put my money and coin on, right? So his death raises a lot of questions. Who was in on this? Why were all the cameras now being reported at the Manhattan Correctional Facility out? That means external and internal and within the cells. Now, in this article, I even draw attention to many lawsuits that have been filed by people that were inmates there that, um, you know, uh, were put through very horrific you know, situations, very horrific situations. I mean, they are treated like second-class citizens. And like I said at the beginning of this hour, the only person that was treated like a king was John Gotti, getting big fat steak served to him because he owned New York. Uh, But, you know, you know, I, I, I linked it up where they literally tell you that every cell has two cameras within the cell. So we've got cameras within the cell, cameras within the hallways, cameras where, you know, the the guards hang out. And then you have a central security guard for each floor that monitors all the cameras at once. Then you have a guard that monitors all the cameras for all of MCC on a general, uh, external and internal. And yet all of these people didn't see that for over two hours, no cameras were there. And if the cameras were out, that means it would be all hands on deck. So where is the messaging system or the protocol implemented? There is none. So these are all questions. Was he actually taken out? Don't know. But I'll tell you what, it's in what they tell you. So I've I've said it many times that leaders tell you more than they should sometimes with the phrases that they choose or the statements they make. So immediately when it was found that, um, you know, and I heard the 911 calls and it was almost instantly that I, that I, that I got this information, Rudy Giuliani tweeted out, what does the word suicide mean in the phrase suicide watch? 
Who was watching? Did they fall asleep? Did the camera malfunction? Were there cam- w- was there camera surveillance? Who was he about to implicate? This is very questionable. Committing suicide on suicide watch doesn't happen. Now, he removed that tweet uh, within like minutes, but I had it screenshot. So that tells you a lot because no one was talking about suicide at that point, right? It was just dead. No one was talking about suicide yet. Now, the question is, indeed, were all the cameras throughout MCC? Apparently, there was camera malfunctions. And like I said in my first hour, which those of you that did not get to listen to it, listening to me live, um, I am uploading this within like 15 minutes as the latest episode. Um, So, you know, it was said that there were no documents. Okay, so this is what's weird. Anyway, so let's focus on the statements. The statement that the attorney general put out was telling. I was appalled to learn that Jeffrey Epstein was found early this morning for an apparent suicide while in federal custody. Mr. Epstein's death raises serious questions and must be answered. In addition to the FBI's investigation, I have consulted with the inspector general who is opening an investigation into the circumstances of Mr. Epstein's death. Now, I want to tell you guys something. First of all, that is very particular. A lot of people, you can't advise the inspector general. Yes, you can. Did you guys know that the warden of that prison used to be an FBI agent? Yeah. And did you guys know that the warden of that um, facility also worked for the Department of Justice? Yeah, pretty weird, right? (laughs) So, yeah, there is going to be an opening. There is. And calling for an investigation. But here is where it got creepy. So the U.S. Attorney's Office, Southern District of New York, put out a statement. And they seemed like they were less appalled about the event of his death. And they didn't even question how Epstein died in federal custody. Instead, they just focused on, oh, isn't it bad that all these victims will be deprived of justice? But if you were a victim and you feel you were a victim and you have information, please contact us. I want to know where Maureen Comey is. The only people that can get in and out without being recorded at the MCC are people with a golden ticket from the warden that are either SDNY, FBI, or severely top brass in the police department, okay, or other correctional officers. Those are the only people that could go in without license plates being recorded, without names being taken down, and considering that the cameras were off after the 415 check. Okay, 415 was the last time it was checked. It was the last time that there were cameras. My witness tells me that Epstein was actually removed from the facility and then Epstein was brought back into the facility, which was really weird and looked different with heating blankets. Heating blankets, which if someone's been dead for a while, they're pretty cold. You want to keep them warm to touch or keep their body temperature warm. That would mean that you want to make it seem like it happened within a few hours. This is like really weird, guys. So I don't know what to make of it, if it's real or not, but I'll tell you what. Regardless... If he died of suicide with assisted suicide, because from what I can see, it's not a hanging, it's poisoning. So maybe someone passed him a tablet for cyanide poisoning or some other agent that would kill him in his sleep. Because the picture, if that is indeed Epstein, the picture indicates someone that died laying on their back. Again, if you're hanging, gravity takes its course and your extremities, number one, will be extended when you die from hanging. Your extremities and fingers are extended like 
like you're shocked. Um, when you're uh, through cardiac arrest, you curl up and you can see in that photo, the fingers are curled and frozen in position, uh, almost looking like they were grabbing onto something. So um, y- you have to think suicide, assisted suicide. Okay. That could be one option. And this is why maybe the chief psychologist took him off a suicide watch. Someone swapped, you know, slide, uh, slid him that pill or whatever. And let's just pretend he actually hung himself, which you can't hang yourself if you know what the cells look like and you know where he was at. So that's really weird. Um, And, you know, he did complain that someone tried to kill him two weeks ago. Now, so let's pretend it's suicide. Now let's move to the murder side. The murder side would be someone actually killing him. Maybe the roommate that they say was removed before he died out of his room. Maybe a correctional officer. Maybe a hitman. Maybe another inmate. Nobody knows. But maybe he was taken out like that. Or they slipped him some stuff, you know, to kill him. And he died. Maybe, you know, a potent amount of methoglobulin, you know, maybe nitrates, you know. Like if, you, if, if you're someone that has problems with your heart, you know what a nitro tablet is, right? It's a... Um, Sublingual. So let's pretend they gave him like a huge dose of all of these. You're going to die. <laughs> if they give it to you, you're going to die. So maybe they slipped him like five of these in his water and his food. And, you know, after about an hour, he died. Murder. But it could be that he was also swapped. I'll say why. So let's pretend. OK, I'm not saying this is true. Right. And right now, can we all just give a hallelujah on the fact that Alex Jones, right, is now Walter Cronkite. Like, let's, 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 let's break that down. Conspiracy theorists, they say, oh, they're so crazy. They're so this. Did you see the attacks on Q yesterday from the mainstream media? Did you see the attacks and calling people conspiracy theorists? Well, it's kind of funny how conspiracy theorists have been on point for over four years. On point, not a, a millimeter off. And one might say, well, what about Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Well, we'll get to that probably in the next few months. Okay, so right now, let's talk swap, opportunity of swap. Yeah, if he's swapped, he's still dead. To you and me and the rest of the world, he's dead. Because I told you guys, unlike the mainstream media lying and reporting that he was an FBI asset, and that's why he got a deal, you don't get a deal for being an FBI asset. That is BS. He was a CIA asset. I was the one that exposed that his jet would land in naval bases and pick generals and Clinton and all these other clowns and perverts up. I was the one that exposed it. Now that they released the pilots say, hey, I went to this base in Japan. No, duh. I wrote about that two weeks ago. This is what CIA assets get. Undocumented travel. Undocumented travel. You do not document who, what, when, and where. That is a spook cover. So this is why he got the sweetheart deal back in 2008 because he can make, uh, he can actually break every single person up. I mean, you saw those, that senator and that governor, that was just the icing of the cake. These guys were just the, the lower level pervs. <laughs> Imagine how many others, I mean, Dershowitz, you know he was popping them sublinguals like crazy. So think about it. Swap. Why? Well, Barr was actually at the prisons earlier that week, and apparently Epstein had gone to the hospital earlier that week too. So the question is, what was he doing there? You could say he went to question him, but why would Attorney General Barr actually go to the prison to do it? Hmm. Now here's my thought. 
and I'm just speaking from perspective of like 007 kind of perspective. Now, if I found out that there was a plan to take him out, right? And my warden or some guards or even de Blasio, who's hard up for cash because he's apparently he still thinks he's running for president with 15 people turning up to his, <laughs> to his rallies. But, you know, these people you could buy out. If I found out, I would put them under the tightest watch and tell them I already know. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to play along like I don't know. And here's what else you're going to do. After this is all done, you're all going to get fired anyway because people are going to be asking questions. But at least you get to keep your pension. But you'll never be able to work in this town again. You hear me? That's how it works. So you just play along and let it happen. And let them think he's dead. That's what we want. You just play along. And so uh, that's what I would do. I would let the other side, you know, all those clowns that I put in my article that may have pooled their insane pocket change to take him out, that may have promised the world, the stars, the moon, and the sun to these people, I would let them think they won, right? Because when you're an asset, you could disappear in a heartbeat. Like, let's pretend I was an asset and my life was in danger, I would disappear and they would stage my death and that would be it. And you'd never see me again. And I'd be somewhere where there's no extradition and nobody knows my name. And maybe I'd change my hair color or I'd live in a mountain somewhere. So, so let's go with the whole swap thing. So here we are. Everyone is playing along. I have them all complying because I knew that they were all planning it. Because it was very convenient on the timing, wasn't it, guys? Because like I said in my first hour, what dropped this week from Orr, Simpson, or nobody is paying attention. They're writing crazy articles like, mm, it's not a big deal. Guys, I have a three-part series. I already finished part one. Part two is almost done. I have to finish part three because they all link up together. And I want you guys to be able to read them all. I've got evidence of who colluded to get Steele down here, who sent him letters. Who did all of it? Names, pictures, dates, time. They're all there and nobody was looking. Because it I've said it before, the devil is in the so the timing was perfect for them. Because why would you look at stupid things like muh or, you know, and muh this if, you know, Epstein's the circle of it and we're going to get Trump body count trending when Trump had nothing to do with Epstein, except for the fact that President Trump rubbed elbows with every, every single clown perverts. He shook the hands of disgusting, ugh, wretched, uh, Bill Clinton, who's been raping people since 1968 on all continents of this planet and was kicked out of Oxford for it back then. So, again, compliant. And instead of killing him, we found someone that we have created or we dressed him to look dead. We colored him to look dead. Something. But we also left clues to tell them, oh, guess what? It might not be him. That way, you put fire under the butts of those that planned it in the first place. I mean, this is what I would do. What I would do is say, you're going to go along with the plan. You're going to have the chief psychologist do this. And we're going to make it seem like he's dead. 
and you know, makeup artists, man. We can put all these little clues that the deep state and all those that pooled their cash, one, the stupid ones be like, ha, he's dead, we're done. <coughs> the smarter ones, like the Clintons, the ones that know the capabilities of our nation, those ones would be like, wait a minute, why is he wearing orange? He wasn't supposed to be wearing orange. Oh my gosh. Could this be a fix? Nope. Conspiracy theory. Could this be a fix? Oh my gosh. We are not done yet. This keeps them on their toes even more because uh, I even tweeted that out. Whoa, that was a fantastic troll putting him through, you know, with, uh, you know, ventilation and this fake neck thing because it's not the right one you put on someone that hangs themselves. I say it again. You don't put that neck brace on as EMS if they hung themselves, okay? Let's be clear, okay? So um, that's an airway stabilizer. Everybody gets it. You fall down, break your leg. They're going to put it on there just to stabilize your airway during travel. But anyway, so we've got that. That is what I think, that this is a troll. And you know why? Because the minute that happened, we see Rod Rosenstein come out saying, oh yeah, pedophiles facing federal criminal charges are high risk suicide. No duh. Anybody facing federal criminal charges is high risk at suicide when they're looking at a lifetime in prison. All of them. And he's like, detained pedophiles need special attention. No duh. They do. That's why he was on suicide watch. Especially him. So he was talking about statistics of how people kill themselves. But here's something really weird. You know, Spencer Curvin, who is an attorney for a majority of these victims of Epstein, you know, when Epstein supposedly choked himself, you know, <laughs> even though he said he was under attack, he said, I question whether or not it was a true suicide attempt that Mr. Epstein was involved in in jail or whether or not there may be some powerful people who don't just want him to talk. I mean, how do you choke yourself? It doesn't make sense. And that's right. That is so right. But here's where it gets greater. We have all these things going around, right? We've got Epstein theories going around. This is keeping the actual actors on their toes. And again, on the books, to you and me, Epstein is dead. Epstein is dead. And let me tell you something. A guy like Epstein doesn't cop out. A guy like Epstein, you know, that has the world at his feet doesn't cop out. And a guy like Epstein doesn't want to be hunted for the rest of their life if he turns over everything. So what does he do? He cuts himself a deal. And this is how you make him dead. Now, remember, we've got professors of Harvard, big names in the tech industry from Google to Amazon, foreign dignitaries, people like Rupert Murdoch, who owned Fox, all pictured, right, with Epstein, either on the, sh on, on the Lolita Express or at special venues where he holds. We have records of army generals going, and then we've got Les Wexner, who, by the way, just last week released like some information to his board saying oh Jeffrey Epstein like totally misappropriated our funds like I didn't know he was doing this oh Lex you are not getting away with this you pervert kind of funny huh how they wanted people to not pay their membership oh, which there weren't any memberships for SoulCycle um, because they were uh, companies their chairman of the company that you know, owns their company, right? I was throwing a fundraiser for Trump, but Victoria's Secret, Amber Confidence, don't, don't, you know, don't boycott that even though they're pedophiles. But the one thing I can tell you is, right? No matter how it turns out, Adam Schiff is sweating. 
You know why? Because one part of Virginia's testimony is that she was sent to Thailand for massage training. Did you guys remember that? She went to Thailand. That's how she met her husband and then ran away and went to Australia. Massage training. There's this company called Little Kids. It's actually pediatric massage. On the article, I've actually put a snapshots of that picture where it literally tells you to pet the children, you know, kind of thinking of like pizza and decorating. It's really creepy. Pizza gate, anyone, right? So anyway, uh, we've got the Royals on, you know, on alert. Jack Dorsey suppressing information about pedo Prince Andrew, of course, right? Pedo Prince Andrew. Nobody needs to see that, right? And, you know, uh, suppressing all of it and just putting out Epstein and calling people crazy. It's going to come out regardless. Now that he's dead, based on the executive order from December 21st, 2017, we have access to everything. And now his lawyers have lawyered up with criminal lawyers. Why? Where's the money? Remember when I talked about Enron and those uh, offshore accounts? Oh, it's about to get fun. So Epstein may have committed suicide, assisted suicide, covertly stashed away, whatever it may be or murdered. I could tell you what, this is about to get very, very interesting. And I want you all to just enjoy the show. And tomorrow it will break. Who in the Senate, Congress, and DOJ actually themselves help facilitate this whole Christopher Steele facade? And who was the contact for that civilian who was the go-between? That and much more tomorrow. On that note, everyone, I want to wish you a great evening. Tomorrow is it's going to be exciting. I can't wait to drop these. This, this took a lot of work, I can tell you that. And this is being uploaded right away. So I'll see you all tomorrow. Same time, same place, 12 to 2, live on Red State Talk Radio. Have a wonderful evening. God bless from all of us. Town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in DC, but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there.